0: Hey, welcome back to the Backyard Professor videos. Yesterday, while I was uploading the video on the CES letter, it took longer than I expected. I reread Sophocles' The Oedipus Cycle Oedipus Rex, Oedipus at Colonus, and Antigone. Really interesting stuff. I'm sort of making a, uh, a thorough of study as I know how, on the ancient Greek Eleusinian mysteries. It would surprise you how much interesting material is in the Oedipus cycle as basic background to the Greeks. I read uh, Thomas Taylor's The Eleusinian and Bacchic Mysteries, a delightful little book. And then I did some research in Carl Correnghi's Dionysus, Dionysus, however you pronounce it, archetypal image of indestructible life. His ideas are exquisite. And then that led me into Mark Gaffney's Gnostic Secrets of the Naacines, the initiatory teachings of the Last Supper of Jesus. And uh, turns out we, Jesus may have had more understanding of the Kundalini than we have suspected. Gaffney has a real interesting thesis. His is a little bit older. I've read it several times. So once I got got some more research done, I jumped again into Terrell Givens' Feeding the Flock. I'm reading through Terrell Givens' materials. He's probably one of the more nuanced, more interesting, more how would you describe him intellectually spiritual i'm not quite sure what adjectives to throw his way he is brilliant the foundations of mormon thought church and praxis this feeding the flock his other his other text that that goes with this oh i've taken the cover off wrestling the angel givens is a pretty prolific author in feeding the flock I've been working my way through it I'm in chapter nine and I run across I went through the various areas that he discusses LDS scriptures, LDS views etc and then he talks about the he ends the chapter he's on page uh, he's on page 277 and 278. I want to just kind of touch on a couple of items that Gibbons mentions because while he is wonderfully more uh, adroit, I'll say more all-inclusive in the context of the LDS point of view of the scripture, he also doesn't quite think all the way through the subject. And this instantly is what happens to me now because I have been freed from the shackles of sit down and listen and don't question. Uh, You know, you can believe anything you want in the church as long as you don't talk about it. That's been told us before. And uh, that's just insipid. I don't don't go along with that at all. Dialogue is the really important thing. I'm actually working on a (laughs) a paper on that from the New Testament from uh, none other than Jesus himself when he's dialoguing back and forth with his disciples. Maybe when I get that done sometime in 2035 or whatever, I'll share it with you. But the status of LDS Scripture is interesting. Uh, Wilfred Woodruff in the 1830s remarked once when Brigham Young was at the podium and he grabbed the Bible and put it down, grabbed the Doctrine and Covenants, put it down, grabbed the Book of Mormon and put it down. He said, These are the scriptural word of God. And he said, And I wouldn't give a snuff for any of them as opposed to having the living oracle of God here, the prophet. The prophet takes priority. He said, I can do without all of the written scriptures. I want the living prophet, and then of course this idea was repeated again by Apostle Mariner Manner Mariner Merrill in 1897. He basically said the same thing. So the theme here, as Givens notes, and of course they are, and of course they are slowly letting the noose down over their neck, and they don't even know it. They have no idea what kind of a conundrum they have put themselves in because of their theological stance on 278 gibbons notes that though this authority is seldom expressed in such stark terms (laughs) well it is i'll give you an example that's really positively astounding uh, Latter-day Saints persist in seeing the prophet's authority as superseding Scripture. See, that's the big thing with Mormons, is authority. It comes from the outside. I mean, this is so typical of Western civilization for millennia, right? Ever since the church was given its power from the state, good old Constantine. And then, of course, the church became what it was fighting when it was being persecuted it turned around and used its authorita to squelch stamp down and enslave everybody either bodily or mentally or spiritually or all three and it's not changed much through the millennium that part of the restoration joseph smith got correct you know they think they are the mediator between us and the mediator and they use this prophet figure as the one to not quite bow down to but close enough that we have to succumb we have to submit anyway i'm making too big a deal about this it's very interesting that gibbon says though the lds canon serves in general to constrain the authority of its leadership. Joseph Fielding Smith now taught, and he was one of the prophets. He was he a prophet when I was a teenager, uh, being told not to study all the anti-Mormon literature that we now possess in the essays on the church's official website. All of that material used to be taboo, and now we find that it's actually how it really happened and what they really believed and taught and said. (laughs) What a conundrum, right? Well, Joseph Fielding Smith said that the members now need not accept his teachings or the teachings of any other members of the church, high or low, mind you. Doesn't matter what station in the church, State President Bishop seventy. General authorita, or the First Presidency, it didn't matter which, if their teachings did not square with the four standard works by which we measure every man's doctrine. Now, this is really an interesting situation. Because they love to... They want the prophet to be Jesus, more or less. Of course, they'll deny that, yeah, yeah. He's in the same place as Jesus. Don't let him kid you. Uh, and what he says is the law. It is the authority of God. It is the absolute truth. I received the revelation from Jesus, from on high, from the Almighty. What I say is final. When the prophet speaks, the thinking's been done. You know, they reiterate that about everybody decade. And then they say, it doesn't matter whether the prophet's right or wrong. How dare you criticize him? You are going to find yourself into apostasy, right? And and so the, their, their program is a program of intimidation and of making dang sure you know where you are in the kingdom. You are way down here and you will obey. And of course, They bring in the emphasis of obedience, yeah. Obedience is the first law of heaven. Uh, They can't quote Jesus on that because that's not his view, but, boy, from the leaders of the church, that's their view, you know. And then they'll rinky-dink some proof text in the Old Testament and tie it in with something Paul said, or however they do it. (laughs) They're funny people, aren't they? But think this through. Brigham Young, here's where Givens failed, right? He didn't, uh, you know, it's a mile wide and inch deep in Mormonism. All, All he wants to do is present the theme that the prophet, the prophet, follow the prophet. That's the impression they always want to leave you. You're never wrong following the prophet. Because, of course, he won't lead you astray. It's interesting that it's a prophet that says that. Uh, yeah, kind of nice little nifty circle there that they don't still don't get. But anyway, be that as it may, Joseph Fielding Smith comes along. And he says, I can't teach anything that's not already in the scriptures. Yet Joseph Smith's article of faith says, we believe there will be many yet great and important things pertaining to the kingdom that's going to be revealed that has never been revealed before from the foundation of the earth. So we have no basis to ever know whether that's an actual revelation or if he's speaking as a man and giving his opinion. Like, Russell M. Nelson thinks Jesus really, really makes a big to-do about his name, and that's vastly more important than taking care of the children of the world. And so let's drop the word Mormon, because that's a victory for Satan. So uh, the weightier, the weightier matters of importance to suffering people is put aside, so that Jesus's name can be pronounced and spoken of more, because to Jesus that's what's important. See the, this, this imagining of well. I want my name to be important, therefore Jesus probably wants his, you know. It's pure ego, right? <laughs> a pretty ridiculous emphasis. Here's how Givens... If if the scriptures are not important, throw them away, as far as Brigham Young was concerned, as long as there's a living prophet. That's all we need, right? Uh, so, forget the... I mean... When you see, when you see that approach, you recognize <laughs> why uh, Mormons don't really grasp any of the Greek or the Hebrew in the Bible or anything. You know, uh, it, it's no wonder they're on the uh, the sixth grade level because nobody's going to go into in depth in the Scripture. They just simply are taught, trained uh, to look to what the prophet says and. Pretty much everything he says is God's law. Now, of course, (laughs) that's gotten him in a boatload of hot water time and time and time again with inconsistencies of policy and scripture and so on and so forth. And so now they have established a loophole. Uh, If something back then didn't jive with today, well, that person was speaking as a man. He wasn't always speaking as a prophet. Joseph Smith himself established that loophole because he got caught with his pants down so much. Yeah, And so every prophet, of course, has exploited that out, or so they think it's an out, all the time. Well, he was just speaking as a man. You don't have to really believe that. Even though Benson, (laughs) Ezra Taft Benson, his 14 fundamentals of the prophet, follow the prophet, uh, he said it doesn't matter because we're guided by the Holy Spirit absolutely every moment and therefore our wisdom in general, even if we aren't prophesying or speaking in the name of the Lord or however presenting new scripture, it doesn't matter because all of our material is way better than anything else in the whole world. You know, the philosophy of men mingled with Scripture does not match my pronouncement even though I'm speaking as a man because I have special privileged access to the heavens. This is the impression I was raised with preparing for my mission all through my teenage years. Those of you who were over 50, you know whereof I speak, yeah? Yeah, right? So, givens, says above the authority of the written record stands the authority of the living prophet and yet joseph fielding smith says wait you know the scriptures no good but joseph fielding smith says uh, if you're not in line with the scripture your teaching is no good well which is it you can't have both right and this is where gibbons fails to explore just a smidgen deeper by asking a couple of pertinent questions do the scriptures matter or don't they right and they might come along and say well i mean if i'm speaking as a man then you can pursue the scriptures and with the help of the holy spirit you can see that the scripture does matter, right? Well, the scripture itself is the philosophy of men mingled with the scripture they had in their day. Notice Jesus discussing things constantly and thwarting the church authorities in his day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the hypocrites, right? So, they weren't overly enlightened using their scripture because it's just the philosophy of men. Every scripture has a point of view, that is, a man's thinking behind it. Right? So Gibbon says, in the last now, ena- and this is what they always do to us. <laughs> I mean, they're good. Their pop psychology has fooled so many because, of course, they keep you battened down with just, knowledge for children and they never really do get you into the adult frame of mind so that you can actually critically think right because they don't want you to critically think they want you to obey they want you to believe they want you to have faith that's how they present it yes and so there's no reason to go into any kind of a depth just look the prophet. That's what they're always saying, man. So he says, in the last analysis, the burden of proof, and here we go, the burden of proof for scriptural status is placed upon the reader and hearer. As young counseled, let every man and woman know by the whispering of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates or not. Well, this brings up something else interesting if you just kind of lift a little bit of the page and look underneath the surface here. Let's do that. It is up to us to determine through the Holy Spirit that the prophet is doing the will of the Lord. What happens when the Spirit, which bloweth where it will. Yes, uh, that's from Jesus. I can't find a higher authority. But granted, it's only in the Scripture, the written Scripture, right? So, they can forestall that. They can put that away when they dictate where the Spirit will blow. And make no mistake about it, that's exactly what the church leaders do. Very interestingly, they say now, oh, well, you prayed for a testimony you don't accept what Russell Nelson said about Mormon being a victory for Satan (laughs) then you're not living worthily enough you're not listening to the right spirit you need to pray again until you agree you see the catch there isn't that fascinating I mean, it's kind of fun when you, when you can step back and see their pop-cheap amateur psychology. It's really fascinating because they're always right. Regardless of whether they're touting a prophecy from Jesus to Jesus or speaking by the Holy Ghost as a prophet or as just a man, it's irrelevant. They intimidate you into thinking that, oh, well, if you don't arrive at the same conclusion the brethren do, you're the one out of line. And so you need to become a better disciple scholar. You need to do more fasting and praying. You need to repray and repray and repray until you get the correct answer. They don't believe the Spirit is going to guide anyone other than what they themselves say regardless of their mood their temperament whether they had sex the night before and they're feeling great the next day and whether they're enthusiastic or miserable whether they've fallen and broken a hip or Uh, got stuck in a snowstorm or had a sunny day it doesn't matter everything they say is right and yet they turn around and say oh well we're only men we're not infallible but notice their cheap amateur pop psychology that guides you without you even knowing it into the theme that they're always right isn't that the definition of infallible indeed it is. And then they put the burden back on us. We're the ones to salvage wrong. Well, what happens if the Spirit is blowing and telling us, uh, you know what, that's not the right doctrine. They say, well, that's not what the Spirit would do. How would they know? You see, the Spirit blows where it will not, where they dictate, and yet they want to dictate where it blows. Yeah, here's the other issue that Givens didn't touch. I'm going to have to read this. This is my note in the bottom of the page here on 278 that I wrote. This idea of in the last analysis, it's up to us, and we have to listen to the Holy Spirit to decide whether the church leaders are telling the truth or not. I don't need to do that. And here's why. Because the evidence... Through the history of the church from Joseph Smith to our day now, the evidence is that if a doctrine from earlier can then be declared as that prophet's mere opinion, and they've done that several times with Brigham Young, I mean the essays on the church website. Yep, yeah. I know I keep harping about this because this is critically important to get us away from their cheap incorrect psychology of oppression of our minds and I choose my words deliberately because the scripture doesn't match what they're saying ever very much so if it can be declared that well he was just speaking as a man or he was expressing his own opinion yet the Holy Ghost testified to many thousands or millions that what that prophet was saying was absolute truth. It was true doctrine. And it testified to everyone. Well, later on, it's pretty inconvenient to a later prophet's cultural association with the world, and that's pretty inconvenient, so we've really got to somehow get rid of that. So actually, he was just stating his opinion. But the prophet declared he spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost when he taught Adam God. Truly, you can read that in the journal of discourse. Volume 1 is one area. I think Volume 6 has some other stuff. I'll, I'll look that up if you're really interested in the Adam God. It's a fantastically fascinating idea. So the Holy Ghost back then Is simply testifying to everyone of that man's mere opinion as being a revealed truth of objective universal significance for them then right the Holy Ghost is just testifying to an opinion not truth and it's a very limited human opinion not objective heavenly total whole truth you see the problem here Doctrines are always just someone else's opinions. So today's doctrine won't mean anything in the future. Doctrine is thus proven not to be eternal objective truth. There was no real revelation from God, just another prophet throwing out his opinion and how they really make a big to-do about their own authority. Uh, There's the incident with uh, David Bednar, one of the apostles, where he was teaching a fireside and he mentioned something or other, and at the end, in the question and answer session, the gal stood up and she asked, well, Brother Bednar, that that was really interesting. Um, Are there some scriptures I can look at that kind of helps solidify and support what you're saying? And he said, ma'am, I am. Scripture, (laughs) you see, how do you describe this? Do you see the one, the condescension, the condescending, arrogant pop psychology of you just have no choice but believe me? And who's going to wade through the entire Bible, the entire Doctrine and Covenants, the entire Pearl of Great Price, and the entire Book of Mormon, and all of the previous conference issues of the Ensign, just to verify some dingling opinion that Bedmar was talking about. And yet, in his mind, I am Scripture. I am God. I have spoken End of discussion. And yet, when they're caught in a wildly vicious contradiction, doesn't matter whether it's doctrine, history, philo- philosophical, economic—it doesn't matter. When they are caught in a brutal contradiction in a the problem, they think their way out is, "Oh well, that was just his opinion." So Bednar's opinion that he is scripture—I have spoken. Done. Finish. No discussion. Notice how he completely closes down discussion, analysis, and coming to a better understanding through his authority. And that's how they do it. (laughs) And it, believe me, so when it intimidates the audiences, you know, um, when they say that we are fallible, etc. Don't buy into that. They don't think that at all. They will excommunicate you if you don't agree that, well, we're more correct than you'll ever be. And you should line yourself up with us. I mean, that was Neil A. Maxwell's, you know, be a submissive disciple scholar a disciple scholar always obeys the brethren and comes to the same conclusion of the meaning of the scripture the meaning of history etc the value and power and wonderful open spiritual teachings of everything the prophets and apostles teach again infallibility but but the disciple scholar will gently fold his hands bow his head and say yes otherwise you get called into church discipline. So they're talking out both sides of their mouth, right? And Terrell Givens does not bring any of that out. He's simply wanting to give leave the impression that, well, while the scriptures are important, we have something much, much greater to present to you. We have living scriptures. That's the impression. And yet the living scripture, with several former private, Wilford Wooder from Polygamy, Brigham Young and Adam of God, and so on, Spencer Kimball and the Blacks and the Priesthood, I mean, on and on and on, they throw that away. They throw them under the bus. <laughs> it's a brutal contradiction, and they can't solve it. You know, why do you think so many of these rescue missions are failing? You know, the rescue mission to Sweden, the one over there somewhere in Boise, Idaho, now a new one in England somewhere, Timbuktu, Africa, who knows where they're going to go next. And in every case, we hear from members on the message boards who attend those sessions. In every case, the brethren are not allowing the questions to be asked. They're intimidating people and guiding the questions to what they can answer and then tell them, now you get a testimony of this. It's not a real discussion. It's not a real analysis. (laughs) And it certainly (laughs) is not a rescue mission. None of those work. You notice how Mormonism has shifted from being on the offensive to being on the defensive. You know, stay in the boat, stay in the boat. There's plenty of room for everyone. Or if you don't follow that, they go, well, where will you go? Where will you go? As if there's no other option. Cheap amateur pop psychology is what it is. So, that's what I wanted to get across this time. In this particular video, I think it's important to grasp that our minds are much stronger than the church has ever led you to believe. They let you assume, and they try to really, truly get it in your minds, that you are incapable of learning higher spiritual truths. They can, because they have revelation, and therefore your job, your duty. Ooh, what an emotion-laden word, right? Your loyalty. Don't betray your pioneer heritage. How many of us have heard that silly noise? Don't think for yourself. Don't expand your own spirituality except through ours, because ours is higher, you see. That's what they brainwash us into believing. And it's fundamentally not true. Our minds, if Joseph Smith had it right, of course, then they'll throw him under the bus now, too. (laughs) They'll pick and choose which parts of him to ignore and which parts of him to accept. You also notice they always select, you know, they're building and creating a false narrative, just like I said in that CES letter video, right? But uh, Joseph Smith said, thy mind, O man, is eternal as the God's, and you can expand it. It's my province to ever seek out more mysteries for the saints to study and learn from. When was the last time you saw a prophet do that? I haven't seen it in 60 years of my entire life. They have just constantly repeated the same old boring stuff. Their own greatest scholar, Hugh Nibley, tried to show them the way. He said, that's management attitude. We need leaders like Captain Moroni and Nephi and Alma. And the church just blithely ignored him and went right on their way, being utterly boring managers, sharing the same thing in the same tone of voice, year in, year out in general conference. The nice thing is it gives you a four-hour nap so that you can then study the good stuff, the Greek mysteries, ancient Christian history. Women's Studies, Barbara Walker. The Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. Four inches thick, it's incredible. Well, not four, but oh wow. Uh, Well, well over a thousand pages of sumptuous goodies. So, thanks for watching my Backyard Professor videos. I I try to dig up new analysis, uh, perhaps a different... Perspective, which does scare Mormons. And I understand that, and I can sympathize with that because we have been taught and manipulated into just one very narrow view, and you're not supposed to deviate from it or you're going to make Jesus upset. That's just simply bunk. I no longer buy that view. I just... I... I just say no. When they try to use that kind of manipulative, cheating, psychology and abuse and misuse of scripture, no thanks. Nope. The spirit bloweth where it will. I'm going to seek that. Oh, my camera's flashing, so anyway, Be good. Do well. Have fun. Stay friends. Keep watching my videos. Please, if you feel free, share the videos on your other electronic outlets. Let people know we are here trying to give you a new up, a new boost to your spirituality by letting you know that you are not as guilty or stupid or meek and worrisome and useless and valueless as you've been made to believe. You have tremendous value. Tremendous importance. You are good people. That's what we're trying to give you. No more intimidation. No more minimalization. You are part of the universe and therefore your value is infinite. That's how it works, right? All right, thanks, you guys. I'll see you in the next Backyard Professor videos.